All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined as always by OPEX founder and owner, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Joined as always by uh, myself. I was wondering, wondering if that'll ever change. Well, maybe, maybe we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how the future proceeds. Maybe we'll have guests one day. Hey, that's right. Let's change this thing up more than just two, uh, two talking heads. So you said you were, uh, before we hopped on the call, you said you were trying to protect your beach, protect my beach, <laughs> stay out waves. Um, yeah, those, uh, pesky waves. I have waves that are encroaching on my wonderful sand on my beach from all the, uh, the, uh, the fancy and uh, yet highly productive uh, wake boats. They, have, they produce huge wake and they're just ripping apart my beach. So I'm down there trying to move logs around to kind of keep it. Uh, I have a man-made, what's it called? Block for the, for the waves. And uh, Eddie? Eddie, I forget. Yeah, I forget the term. I want to say Eddie, but I'm not oh, sure if that's right. But. Please find one for me because yeah. I really have no words to describe what I'm doing down there right now. Um, just protecting my beach from being eroded. So uh, yeah, that's what I was doing earlier. Otherwise, I'm doing really good. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. Do you ever, uh, Brandon and I have encountered that a couple times when we're out kayaking. Do you ever get the big wake boats who just like don't pay attention and just like oh yeah speed by and oh yeah. Well, the speed, the faster boats are not a problem um, because uh, it generally doesn't have as much of a wake. It's these slow wake boats that are doing it for surf, back surf on the back of the wake, where they, uh, they kind of camber the back of the boat so that it builds up this huge wake on one okay. side and not the other. And they just like slowly move by, but they create these big gargantuan uh, waves those are worse for kayak because you got to hit them straight on right right you hit it by the side you're you're going to be tipped over um so you see those guys coming and you can prepare for it but my girls don't have the skills to prep for it so i got to kind of you know uh get in the get in the middle of that and try to protect them yeah yeah that makes sense yeah have you ever seen those uh hydrofoils the ones that like go over oh yeah the wake oh man those yeah. look so cool it's funny you just asked it because uh we just had an old one it looked like an old model of one just come up the river uh, last week and it was oh, really? loud like unsafe loud <laughs> i'm sure oh. there are animals that haven't come back yet to the area <laughs> it was that loud but uh it was cool that was cool um and we we uh my family and i rode on a more recent high-tech one down in the everglades and we were like flying in and out around the water down there. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I've looked at those, like the, have you seen like the individual surfboard versions that like hover? Yes. A few feet above the water. Those yeah. look really yeah. cool. Um, um, that I'm totally missing the boat. Um, I won't, I won't explode. I'm totally missing the boat on the, the hydrofoil then I was thinking of it as something else, but yes, we have seen, my daughter is interested in looking at those now. We just did some research and it's like twelve to fifteen thousand dollars for the one oh, that yeah. she wanted, she wanted <laughs> to get. It's really well, it's a lot of chores for that one. Um, but uh, I thought you were talking about something different. I apologize. It's not loud. Oh no, no, you're you're totally fine. I found out when looking them up that it actually refers to multiple things. Like what you were referring to oh. is actually a correct like it just like if you oh, okay. Google hydrofoil, you will get some of the surfboard variation and some of the other variations. Oh, okay. So you're you're, you're okay. totally fine. Yeah. 
similar mechanic, I think similar mechanical principles in either case, but yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, really cool to see those guys flying down the river. Um, they generally out early in the morning though, because of uh, um, there's hardly any uh, waves and uh, it's, it's uh, like ice out there. Glass. Yeah. Ice, sorry. Yeah. More stable. Yeah. All right. You ready to talk about some uh, science and fitness again? Yeah. Part two. Part two. All right, so uh, last time we spoke about whether the study of fitness could be a science at all and issues surrounding that. This time we're gonna be focused almost exclusively on the study of, uh, or excuse me, the practice of fitness without talking much about, um, we'll, we'll talk some about the study of fitness, but uh, we're gonna be focused much more on the practice of fitness mm -hmm. and how that relates to uh, science. Um, in particular, we're also gonna, you know, last time we didn't, talk as much about this we talked a little bit but we're going to talk a lot about how the coach and the client relate to what science says and how you know what the coach learns and then what imparts the client and then can the client teach the coach things that the coach then learns and then imparts to people researching and exercise science and, and things of that nature so just a little refresher from last time i'm not going to go through this to the same extent we did last time but we were talking about the fact that philosophy is kind of the, the meta discipline um, that investigates how, you know, uh, science and religion or politics and morality uh, interweave and what their connections are. And that's the conception of philosophy that we're operating with here today when we're asking how do these two things interact with one another. And then I also mentioned that we, there's this entire uh, sub-discipline within philosophy called philosophy of science that asks about what is a hypothesis? What counts as evidence? Is science our best way to access the world? And we're gonna ask lots of similar questions um, surrounding science and fitness today. Um, so I think before we get into it, it's important to ask what sorts of sciences are we talking about when it comes to the practice of fitness? So there are lots of different ones, you know, all these things, um, have obviously in some sense, a lot of these things have existed for a very long time, but sometimes they branch off and become their own discipline. And I'm sure in the future there will be more, but just to list some basic ones up front, things like anatomy, physiology, biology, biochemistry, exercise science, nutrition science, neuroscience, and psychology mm -hmm. would probably be the relevant ones for what we're discussing. And James, like you mentioned last time, <laughs> you know, weaving these all together, um, you know, to figure out what we should be doing in fitness. It's, it's a lot. There's a lot of data from a lot of different areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, and it's not that we're going to turn our back on it because there's a lot. Um, and also, uh, I think we should be inspired about the fact of trying to figure out some of the, um, you know, just, just the recognition maybe Robbie that we'll get to that it's really complex and that's a good thing too. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I like how you put those in alphabetical order too. I just want to make note of that. Oh, <laughs> I just noticed that. But yeah, my 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 uh, tendency for trying to keep things in order creeping in. Um, so there may be things like chemistry and physics, obviously involved here, insofar as they relate to these others. But um, I can't think of the last time a discovery in physics had any bearing on the practice of fitness. Maybe it does. Yeah, in the yeah. Future, but, um, yeah, I think, well, I think physics would be inside of the biological, 
um, I, you know, body, the, I guess the body and mechanical arms and levers and, um, and connections to that. And same thing with chemistry, probably inside of uh, a nutrition or a metabolic scenario. Uh, so they're all probably just categorized together, but I would agree with you, uh, your, your statement uh, about your statement of, uh, what most, what has been most recently discovered that puts an impact on fitness, not, not tremendously. Right. Like obviously mechanics from, you know, Newton and onward. Yeah. Uh, and that may be an interesting question that we get to later on about, we've talked about reductionism already, but there's this famous question in philosophy that may apply to fitness as well. You know, is, does this deck of cards collapse as it were, does biology collapse into chemistry, which collapses into physics? Mm-hmm. There are some who argue that no, it does not. Um, and then there's some who argue that it does, but it's just, it's an interesting thing to, ponder with relation to fitness like is it just physics all the way down yeah um or are there other things that maybe go go beyond that yeah yeah <laughs> are you are you asking me to tackle that one <laughs> no not 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 right now just saying like a potential a potential uh thing for us to maybe discuss in the future maybe the the idea of yeah. reductionism yeah for sure for sure yeah i'll uh i'll make sure i have my black rifle coffee um topped up before that one because uh, immediately, immediately as you were saying it i didn't my brain didn't know where to go um, for that. Yeah, and that's that's a tough one to begin with with a lot of different stuff, but might be interesting to discuss in the future. So I thought a good way to start here would be, sometimes this is done in philosophy where you talk about one or more different wrong answers to a question and that helps illuminate where you might go to try to answer the question. So we might start off by asking, what are some possible conceptions of the relationship between science and fitness? So I'm just gonna list two, Uh, talk about, you know, uh, some of the details and then we'll talk about how we can get a better grip on the answer to the question. So one end of the spectrum might be, look, the conclusion reached, excuse me, the conclusions reached by the various sciences I mentioned above have minimal, if any, impact on the practice of fitness. So some people would say this is similar to physics and philosophy of physics. Um, Physics gets on just fine without philosophy of physics. Um, So they say, yeah. Uh, philosophy is just a backseat driver, but the physicist has no need for the philosopher. So caveat, I don't agree with this. Um, there are a lot of philosophers and physicists who don't, but it is a very widely held view within physics. And the famous um, physicist Richard Feynman said, physics has as much use for philosophy as birds do for ornithology. And for those who don't know what ornithology is, that means the study of, of birds. So it's basically not, not a nice view of, of philosophy. So According to this analogy, someone could say something like, look, the practice of fitness gets on just fine without any scientific study. And scientists are just kind of there in the background, just, oh, what are you doing here? What are these concepts here doing experiments? But fitness gets on just fine. Yeah. Um, so I guess before I go to conception number two, I'll just uh, pause to see any, any thoughts there. Um, yeah, I do have some thoughts there. But could you probably explain maybe Feynman's uh, particular reasoning behind his views or a little bit more detail as to why that view would be the way it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, obviously my experience is going to be limited here just having read his books and, you know, uh, don't know his exact motivations a hundred percent, but the idea is something like if we need to explain and predict things like we were talking about last time, one of the, the foundational elements of science, um, physics gets on, just fine 
predicting things, it does predict things very well. Now, when it comes to quantum mechanics, I think even he would have admitted that, like, in terms of explaining what is actually happening, we're still kind of in the dark. Yeah. But um, physics is able to do its job in terms of uh, engineering problems and figuring out, you know, the orbits of the planets and the history of the universe and things like that without um, philosophers coming in and answering or asking certain questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And then back to our uh, science and fitness or practice of science and fitness question. Could you uh, restate that again? Yeah. So basically how that's similar to fitness again. Yeah. So basically the idea would be that on one end of the spectrum, one answer to the question of how science and fitness relate would be science is just a backseat driver. It just, you know, there are people who are scientists who are interested in, Hey, how does one build more muscle or how does, this metabolic pathway work and they're just kind of looking over the shoulders of people who practice fitness, mm -hmm. but the practice of fitness is self-sustaining and has no need for the deliverances of science. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing that comes to my mind on that for it's, uh, uh that being a possibility is that, uh, um, you know, it actually like, so what we see happen in the, in the majority of science of fitness. And of course that needs to be explained, but the, any scientific investigation of anything inside that for fitness, the argument could be to prove your, your point there. That is true that they are, you know, separated and that fitness just goes on just fine. Is that what we see actually practiced in fitness is hardly any semblance to what we see being, you know, shown in a, uh, um, in those areas of fitness science in general, generalized settings. Okay. So that doesn't mean that we've never taken anything from the study of all those things inside of science and carried it over to what's practiced here. But that would be one, um, I guess, uh, argument for the case that they're just not, they just work, you know, by themselves. Right. Um, secondly, um, as uncomfortable as it may be for people to, uh, to grasp onto that were the anti-science views of the early aughts of the high intensity model, right? Of a numerous people who were like all this academic stuff of fitness science. And of course I'm just classifying that again, all this, all this stuff we learned inside of fitness science is not real world. So it's almost the same, same thing, Robbie, but for two decades now, there's just been this common madness and chaos inside of fitness practice, right? That's not on the base of what, what, what is like seen in the academic model, right? Now, as I said, that's uncomfortable for some because they, you know, those groups of anti-science leaned up against that thing in order to push the like madness idea, right? Everything will just work out black box in the end kind of thing. Um, so those, those would be two areas, um, I would say, that um, is a possibility where that, where that doesn't take place. Um, and I think where... It's uh, and may maybe this needs to be saved for future. Robbie is the individuality component, um, you know, of a human, and how that uh, man, the the complexity of, you know, the numbers the numbers in my head, um, just don't just don't work out. Like <clears throat> if you were to, if we were to believe that, <clears throat> um individuals are progressively changing, right? They're progressively changing. And then from birth until death, 
there's this, there's this nonstop, you know, slight changes and, and, uh, you basically have a different human all the time, right? So if you want to think about that, um, that's also, you know, would be an argument for even the concept of science and fitness and what is actually in practice because the practice of fitness requires N equals one. Um, and so much investigation of that particular person in their overall growth. So I say those would be three things there um, that would, uh, would challenge the, the, the conversation on them just surviving by themselves. Um, number one, it's actually not, you know, in real world practiced. Number two, there was a big push for it in the culture of it for 20 years now and the concept of it. And number three, the concept of individuality is, um, is a real challenging thing um, for creating generalized statements, you know, which science would, would want to do, right? So we have this like rule, right? This is the rule, you lift weights and you get bigger. Not for everyone. So right. if that is the case, you know, is it possible that you could get 97 different versions of that weightlifting? Yes, you can. And this is where my math, you could get a million different versions of that outcome. Do you see the, it's like, whoa, whoa, there's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of differences to that. So if you're like, oh, but you do five by five with a bicep curl and your bicep brachii does this amount of size, right? With this tension and et cetera. It's not real. So that's where we have some issues. Yeah, I agree. And I, that's one of the, I think the most interesting questions I think we're going to get into today, you know, just like you were saying in, in almost any human study you can think of, I'm sure, you know, there are thousands of studies published today. Neither of us have read all of them, but you know, so maybe there's some exception, but generally speaking in human studies, anytime there's results, there are some people who uh, have no response to the intervention. There's, you know, kind of that peak of people who, you know, kind of fall in the middle who have, some response and then there's, um, you know, the hyper responders to the response. And then the question becomes, how do you, what science wants to do in principle is generalize. But as you were just saying it, the practice of fitness is such a N equals one thing that there's this constant tension yep. between the two. We want to use some of the deliverances of science, of course, as a starting place, but melding that with the individual where it gets tricky yeah and we you know and we we may just touch on other areas of uh of um other areas that people want to investigate and have it coming up against the same the same issues but um i would presume robbie maybe you can tell me um you know is there is there a way that that this uh problem is remedied amongst um amongst uh, scientists for for ensuring that they do recognize it's like for this particular group, you know, these are the, these are the possible generalizations we can get from lifting weights. Do you know what I'm saying? As opposed to saying, you know, this is exactly what's going to happen broad. So is it, is it the language and how it's communicated that that creates that differentiation once those things are observed? I think, yeah, I mean, that's certainly part of it. I mean, obviously science tries to have control groups, but control groups, always, you know, one of the philosophical problems with control groups, especially when it comes to humans is there's only so much you can control for. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. And then, uh, I'm not sure if this is what you had in mind, but perhaps 
So scientists try to do a good job in their conclusions of say, oh, well, maybe this has this effect or it might. And then of course, when it gets released in the media, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, uh, orange juice will get you, you know, 10 pounds a month. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so just going back to your point about do scientists try to remedy this? I think they, they do try to yeah. by trying to limit their conclusions, but even then we still run into that problem of they're generalizing based on the people who had some effect and yeah. we're not paying as much attention to people who had no effect. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And how it's, yeah. And how it's communicated or how it's dispersed is just probably beyond their, their, uh, you know, capabilities. Right. So that, and I think that's where the issue arises. I think in a lot of cases, not to segue this outside of the topic, but I think it's just, uh, you know, uh, not having ownership of where that information goes, right. And what people do with it. And of course that takes, it takes a competent person who can read that information to be able to decipher how that's effectively going to work for that particular audience. Right. And that's, that's uh that, that takes a fitness professional, you know, that takes someone who's willing to, to look beyond, you know, the high intensity interval training time magazine article, you know, uh, work out in four minutes and get the same results as Kenneth Cooper was saying everyone was going to get with cardiorespiratory activity. You know, it's, that's catchy. Right. Um, so the, the scientist, uh, yeah, I think is probably in shackles for, uh, for not being able to communicate that effectively. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to your point about like, how does this, um, apply or like, how do, how do we, um, transfer this into the real world? Another question that we'll try to discuss today, hopefully is the problem of, uh, in philosophy, this is called the problem of underdetermination. And it's basically just referring to the fact that, you know, uh, you have some set of evidence. Let's say we set up a scientific experiment for fitness in just the way we exactly want. Mm -hmm. We get those results. Those results don't uniquely determine what you should do in every instance with yeah. every person. You need further data from the coach or the client or other things to determine what is going on. So that, yeah. that's another issue there. Yeah. Well, two, two things that are kind of curious for fitness today is, is, a. Uh... Uh, mixed model as a sport. There's a number of uh, number of claims always made within mixed model sport, right? That that way is which you know, um, two people you know are at the games up in the audience looking down, going, you know what I'm assuming? I'm assuming that a lot of these people have worked out in groups, so groups is the best training for these people to get to the games, right? Right. <laughs> They're not willing to go multiple more steps to color that you know, um, or they're trying to sell something. Um, another one very pertinent to today is, uh, is more of an uncomfortable one is with all the higher cases of COVID and death rates. And depending upon how you want to study that, um, there needs to be a deeper story behind the people that are, that do become sick. Right. So it's not just a number, right. Um, I want to hear about that person's story. I want to, I want to know about their lifestyle. I want to know about their choices. Right. So as you can see, you know, and then, and then, you know, we, we, you hear in medicine, they just, they just quickly are like, yeah, it's largely pre-existing conditions or chances of being sick or diabetic or obese or et cetera. It's like, I need more than that. Right. I need more than that in your, 
you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, on NPR, you'll hear, like, well, there's an 18-year-old. They got sick and, you know, whatever. And you hear the story. And I, I, wanna, I want more on that person. I want the story, right? I, I want to go and visit with them, right? I want to listen to uh, how their lifestyle is. And, and, of course, being the health person, I want to I know, like, what's your, what's your vision on maximum potential for, like, what you're doing with your life? And so that story, as it's colored more, gives a better answer to the point, which is data, right? Uh, which what you were just making there as to how that can kind of get like really wrangly if you don't dig deeper into it. So uh, if, that, if that's undetermination, um, that's the word of the day. That's the Pee Wee Herman word of the day. That's, a, that's the red chair. It's freaking out right now uh, on that one. That's a great one. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the philosophical things that goes on when we investigate science is science you know one of the ways it figures out things which is really helpful is it tries to isolate variables like that that, that can be a useful thing but as you were saying in trying to isolate variables you you lose all the richness and color of these other things that are clearly factors because you can't control for them or account for them and so the stuff gets missed out on and that's that's where this question comes up of hey science can maybe give us some good stuff in fitness but like What's, what's the other richness or color or things that are just being missed out on in this investigation of trying to isolate variables all the time? Yeah. And I think that's, you're, you're creating some language that some people who are listening can take away for as a print, as a starting principle, I guess, is that we don't turn our back on it, but we got to read it really carefully. That's, that's basically, I think, you know, and everything underneath it, right? So everything, even that you're learning, Robbie, about uh, diagnostics, right? Urine, urine and saliva diagnostics, right? Uh, versus hematology, right? The lifetime scenario versus the elongated assessment of how someone's operating, right? Um, you know, that needs, that needs color. That needs you to like, you need to read your manuals on, you know, what salivary cortisol actually means. What's the pros and minuses? and unknowns of these testing scenarios, right? And you need to do right. all that, right? You need to do all that to get to the person and go, you know what? You just need to chew your food a little bit better. That's what right. you need to do. So all that science, right, is carefully read and po- you pause and reflect on it. But when you bring it to the front room, it's used as a base support, right? As a base support for coloring the validation of what goes into your prescription more so, right? So as, as it's more really specific back here and the more it gets closer and closer to front room right before the client, you know, it becomes, it becomes fairly generalized with a lot of great base support of the specifics garnered from science. You know, so I think that's one principle we can start to extract now for today is that especially in fitness, if we agree, Robbie, correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to contain all of those variables of scientific investigations, right? All classified inside. And we know all of them have errors, and we agree that science also has errors in that practice, then we have to come to a conclusion of agreement that says, you know, we got we to gotta basically take the basics of all of that and put it into an individualized prescription. And if our biggest challenge is to get minds of coaches up to par to be able to read, I think that could be the, that could be the big hurdle, um, which is what I'm trying to do, right? So maybe I'm biased yeah. to what I see as the problem, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get coaches to be critical thinkers on looking at that stuff and which is true, right? Some of this shit is that scientific stuff, right? And then bring it to the front and go, you have to individualize this. And this is where, this is where that problem exists. 
Yeah, agreed. And I mean, you know, um, entities like FDN and others, you know, always emphasize, you know, clinical correlation. And even in a case like that, where you have someone's Dutch test or what have you, where it's like, that test is specific to them. We're not talking about other people's, you know, tests. We're talking about like their specific tests. They aren't their test results. And there can be a bi-directionality between the test results and the client. And you don't just say, well, this says this. So therefore this must mean that you must have this symptom. You, mu you must feel this way. Yeah. No, there are all sorts of presentations. Yeah. Um, which offers bi-directionality. Yeah. Which offers up so many more things to, to investigate. Right. Yeah. Which, which is great. I mean, you know, because and, and as humans, we just want to have an answer, right? So as the coach, we like we want to have an answer for them because we want to help them. Um, right. As a client, yeah, I would agree. There's a lot of emotional stuff that comes in there when they start, you know, finding uh, some um, some reprieve in the fact that they are classified now, right? Like I knew it. I knew my A1C was that, you know, it's like, but... You know, so it, I, there's, there's a lot of wrangling that's going to go on in there when the emotions become involved and how that person perceives what those are. Yeah. And I, I'd like to um, add a little bit to your language of the way you said it, Robbie, there, the way that I used to think about it with uh, my FDN training was you, you are, I would say you are, you are presenting in this manner on this day at this time, you know, so that's, and that's another, that allows then the person to go, oh, so it's changing. It's like, yeah, it does change, right? And then it starts to create this ownership on their behalf that some of the things that they can impart in their behaviors and what they do actually have a part to play in that. And then it takes away this strong feel for classification, right? Like I am fatigued. I'm adrenally fatigued, right. you know? Right. It's like, as this test shows at this time, yeah, for sure. So let's just discuss how that came to be, tie in your symptoms with this, and let's have a conversation around it um, and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all these things are useful, but they're not, you know, I think, I think this is what we're trying to get at, is that they're all, all these different metrics and scientific uh, measures are useful, some more useful than others, but the person isn't reduced to that and they can change over time. Um, you know, this is a rough analogy, but someone's intelligence is not their SAT score. You know what I mean? Like, does that have some insight into something potentially? Yeah. Yes. But yeah, obviously they go far beyond that. So, yep. And, uh, um, to tie in to another parallel one, we were just discussing the other day with our gyms call our OPEX gyms, G Y M S call, um, was, uh, scientific investigation. And then what's practiced, you know, we just use the example of the highest VO two max scores. You don't see the elite endurance athletes with the highest VO two max scores. Right. So a very, very scientific endeavor that there's some answers to like, that's a score yet the people who win at the world top level, all the top of them, you know, are not the highest VO2 max. So it's, it's like, well, I thought that that was, was the gold standard of measurement and what you're qualifying as this, right? This is the answer to that, right? And so, you know, and if you speak to a scientist based upon it, that's not what they're saying. Again, it's communicated directly and differently, but when you get to the finish line, it's so many factors, right? Efficiency, emotion, timing, strategy, tactics um oh man so many different things right and to wrap a science around that that's going to be going to be challenging yeah and i think it's it's nice and it's tempting and i think humans all of us any of us have this desire right like if it's just vo2 vo2 max let me go increase my vo2 max if my heart attack is just going to be a matter of getting my cholesterol lower let, let me go do that yeah but it's, it's, yeah. it's not just that one data bit yes it's yeah. it's multifactorial
Yeah. So, so to recap on that, would you agree that it's a, that's probably a, a principle to take from it in that is um, you just gotta, we gotta, you know, every, we have to inspire people to, to raise their standards of the reading of, and then the communication of that, that information, you know, and yeah, that, yeah, I completely agree. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Cause we don't want to turn our back on it. Um, we're not, uh, we're not going to say there's not a lot of great things that are going to be taking from, you know, clinical psychology, for example, um, in the, th let's call it the therapeutic area. Um, we can, we can take a whole bunch of great stuff from that and bring it into consulting with individuals as a fitness coach. Right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think the impulse that we're trying to guard against, we're trying to warn people about is this, this gap between like, here's the research, here's the practice, critical thinking's on the inside. Like how do we think critically about what the research says and then how that would apply. Yeah. And then as we'll talk about, like, this is, I think another area, another interesting area, is there a bi-directionality? You know, um, Sometimes people think, well, it's science to coach to client, but maybe there's a bi-directionality going up from kind of this clinical coach perspective that can inform the questions or the research projects of science in a way in which science just is missing out on without that data. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are, are you saying that as a pop, probably a proposal to change up, like how we investigate the, the coach client and fitness setting? For what you know, how it fits into science in the, in the future, or just kind of. I mean, um, so I guess one way to describe it. So I guess this would be the. So we were just talking about like one end of the spectrum being like, hey, science just sits in the back, watches fitness. Another conception of science and its relation to fitness would be something like scientism with regard to fitness. Mm. Science gives us everything we need to know. The coach studies the science, then the coach gives the particulars yeah. of that to the client, the client implements it. And yeah. what I'm wondering is, could there be maybe a, that's a very hard and aggressive view of how science mm -hmm. relates to fitness, mm -hmm. very top down, mm -hmm. but could there be a bi-directionality to that from client to coach to the research program? Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, also seen in, in numerous other industries. Um, there's a constant, you know, argument, arguments of, those who are just studying that particular area and doing lab work on it and then writing books on it and teaching college students on it, you know, and then there's the same person in the trenches dealing with real world scenarios who over time, Robbie starts recognizing that all the book stuff and lab stuff is moving further and further away from what's real yeah. in that setting, right? So it's not just fitness. There's numerous industries like that. Numerous yeah. industries like that. Um, man, I see it in medicine. I don't know why. I just, I think, cause I'm in the health area. I see it in medicine professionals a lot now. Um, I see it in, uh, let's call it cognitive professionals now, psychology, sociologists, etc. Um, yeah, I see it in a lot. Um, even in linguistics, we're seeing it, especially to today. Uh, so uh, I think fitness may fall into that too, where it's it. Uh, you know, you you can you can get the information and read the books, and then for let's just use a timeline for a couple of years, 
that will do you a service. But then after five years and more time spent specifically in the trenches, working with people and doing this complex wrangling of things, you start to look back on the basics, right? The basic tenets of that and go, that's not actually, that's not actually what's, what's real, right? Now. Like what there needs to be more, right? So I think that's where it gets, uh, it gets challenging to kind of meet this middle road. Um, you know, so we're now on the other side of the fence saying that, so are you saying that over time science is probably not that, you know, important uh, to that conversation? And I'm probably saying that, yeah, it's, it's less and less actually contributing to my current relationship improvements with individuals. It's contributing less and less. So it's like as you throughout your career, it's, it's less and less. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that brings us to a, um, a point of the, the whole conversation on a technician craftsperson master, you know, where, you know, the technician, as I like to say, anyways, they're, they, they meld from technician to craftsperson to master. You, you meld from the scientist to the artist, right? So you go through this, you know, these are the facts and these are the things, right? And then, and, but then you get deeper into the profession and then you're like, those things are not always applicable, right? They're not always applicable. So now you're coloring it based upon your experiences. And then by the time you get to the master area, the, let's call it the true artist, you're actually, you may look anti-science, science, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> we're agreeing upon this fact that humans are complex and you got to learn how to, you know, how to find that, that right way. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, the, the industries you mentioned, I, yeah, I, I thought those were good examples. One that kind of came to mind as you were mentioning it, that I think we both had a front row seat for is paleo. Is one that the listeners might deal with and a similar thing where, you know, 2008, 2010, I mean, even before that too, but like there was kind of the, the research stuff on paleo and well, no legumes, no grains, no dairy, you know, bim, bim, boom, like done. Yeah. Okay. And you have uh, other folks who are kind of more trenches kind of talking about, um, hey, I'm noticing this, you know, some people do well with this or white rice or other things and just kind of that, that bi-directionality and, um, you know, you, at, the, at the tail end of that, you see things now with uh, people like uh, Terry Walls or Sarah Ballantyne where, you know, you have research projects based around autoimmune paleo, you know, these different, you know, scientific projects that were informed by the clinical um, experience of these people, uh, but it kind of went up and informed the research project. So that was one I was thinking of as you were saying that, that kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, great example, great example. And in that nutritional science area, you have three or four different groups because the same reductionist idea or whatever they, you know, whatever they saw they thought to be true, there's others going in other areas, right? So. Um, let's call it the, cl the cleanest low, uh, low protein version, right? There's also that group that is pushing that idea and yeah. all the science and research going behind anti-meat, let's say, you know, that's right. how it's perceived. And then there's the, uh, you know, track your food macros group where it's like, it's, it's just energy in energy out. Like that's the only thing. And, right. and they would say that they sit here in relation to all this and there's books on it and, research that 
you know, 67 research articles that are, that can be pounded on top of it now. And, um, and it's all good. It's all good. It's just that it's the same thing inside of fitness where you as a coach have a responsibility to be able to color that with how you decipher that information for what's best for that person and where they currently are, right? Where they currently are. So is it possible along this entire track, Robbie, of living, a client may never know that they went through all the diets, but they did it on purpose because it was a, it was a building scenario, right? To get to a point through autonomy and like knowing how to chew their food and choose right things that work well for them, et cetera, right? And what happens at the end? I don't know what it looks like at the end, right? And don't tell me it's the centenarian studies that are going to dictate what it looks like at the end because even that's different, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, I, I'm just backing up. I agree with you on that. And the nutritional sciences are a great spot to go because um, um, they, they've done a lot of good work, which is great, right? And then, we, then you create parties and... Um, and I'm not sure if we need to go there too, but maybe we can parallel it inside the fitness scene we do need to ask, and I think you, you, you put it in there in your language a little bit, when you said these groups that are studying these things, that's where I think we need to ask those critical questions, right? What's the largest intentions behind what they're trying to uncover in the studies in which they're doing, right? This is where, this is where I have a major issue inside the nutritional sciences. The proxy is largely performance, or anti-disease or weight loss focused, right? That's that's the major major proxy of of all the all the stuff that goes forward. So they go two decades back and all the research that connects all these points to like one thing, right? Vegetarian will fix X, right? And then they they've loaded it all towards that area. So I'm just mentioning that, saying that in fitness we have to have the same thing, which again we're falling back to the same. <laughs> same issues that are embedded inside the fitness area, which is that the intentions need to be asked, right? Of like, why are you doing fitness? And we don't just stop at someone and be like, well, you know, I want to live long and prosper and like just lose a couple of pounds, you know? And, uh, and that you, you can't just stop there, right? Because then all the stuff that feeds into that could be books and books of evidence, but it's not going to be helpful for them on our definition of what fitness was, which is to live long, good mental acuity, physical function, and, and uh, good relations in a larger life, you know? So I, I paralleled that over in fitness, some of the problems we can get into in science inside of coloring that, and, and let's be careful uh, to recognize uh, some, of the, some of the issues that have gone on in other, other um, industries, like you had mentioned with nutritional sciences. Yeah, and that's a paradigmatically philosophical point this idea that you know people will you know whether it's in nutrition or fitness they'll science they'll cite science up the wazoo you know this research paper that research paper and it, again we're not saying that's not relevant it's no. interesting it's important we should be referencing it but at the same time what is the research project behind that what are the like you said the intentions and science does ask deep questions but usually it takes philosophical thinking to ask questions about the very project itself itself. Usually scientists are like, Oh, I'm in this paradigm of like everything I study is well, weight loss. So I should be designing things for weight loss. And I'll ask these interesting questions within a paradigm of weight loss being the only thing, but then they, well, but why am I asking about weight loss only? Um, so yeah, that's a paradigmatically philosophical point. And then, you know, to your point about broader questions about fitness, one thing I always think about with nutrition is like, 
we're all magically the weight we need to be tomorrow. <laughs> you know, does nutrition become irrelevant at that point? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, just thinking about things like you say, like mental acuity or, you know, uh, living a larger life. It's like, again, these research projects can yield some interesting things still when they're researching performance or weight loss or what have you. But having that critical thinking in mind to ask, what was the design behind the study? A1C is not all there is to health. LDLP, all these things are not, they are the, they are the map, they are pieces, but they're not the whole puzzle. Yeah, so. yeah. They're things to track and look at as we try to come to a solution as to what's best for that individual person. Right. That's what they are, right? Like the Sorensen, right? That's, a, that's like an A1C. It's like, it's just, a, it's an it's a adjustment point along this entire journey. Right. And Sorensen for audience, like low back endurance or postural endurance test for individuals. Um, you know, amount of pull-ups you can do, uh, your ability to lunge right in a straight line, um, balance on one leg. Like these are just the same thing, I think inside of fitness. Um, but to think if you're going to go back and back and back and say, Oh, if you don't lunge this particular way or stand on a leg this particular way, cause science showed it in mechanical models of single leg activity, then you need to do this. And this is where we go wrong, right? This is where we go wrong. Do you know why we, we went wrong on that? We didn't ask, what's the intention of exercise, right? What's the intention of it? And then, of course, that's where it comes to the, you know, the hard, the hard uh, I guess, experience or practice inside of that is that um, it's somewhat, or maybe this is, I'm posing a question now on top of that after my point, Robbie, is that do you think there'll ever come a place for the study of that, the study of the, you know, the intentions and, uh, and to like that hard problem of, you know, um, you know, what are the intentions of people getting into exercise and is it possible to wrap that wrap science actually around that? So I'm actually flipping it on, on its head here now, if it's possible, do you think that's possible? Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, and then we get into that, one of those original questions that we asked about, you know, is it like a purely descriptive sociological project where someone are, where people are investigating within different cultures, what do people think about what yes. their intentions are? Or, and then we get into that, you know, normative deeper question of uh, what, what should those intentions be? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you, I think you answered my question on it really well, or made it made sense in my head the way you just said it there, because we're also just assuming that this whole thing we're talking about is, is one person and the dose response of that one person, right? We're forgetting about the coach and client, the relationship, the experience, where they do it, uh, what time of day, <laughs> what do they have available? You know, uh, yeah, some, some, you know, deeper things inside of that. Um, so I'm not even really sure. I kind of get, just got stumped on that one. I'm not even really sure if, if that, if, if it's ever possible um, to be able to, to do anything but just experience for the person. But again, we can go back to some of the, you know, if, if just so we don't get too lost in it, we can go back to some of the principles we talked about in individualization um, and also just, you know, being inspired as a person, as a coach to help someone else out who's, who you recognize is just on this journey of adaptation and adjustment, right? And then you can color that with all the things we previously talked about in the fitness journey of biological limitations over time and 
um, and the, and the, you know, what people can express and what they're capable of and what they should do in design is like just slightly in front of what they present with. Right. And we can get inspired by that and not making it, you know, not make it seem like it's super complex or, or not worthy of, uh, of uh, investigation and not fall back on Jesus. There's gotta be just like a five by five to a three by three to a five by one protocol. <laughs> oh, there is, but it, it depends upon what you're doing this for, you know, for this individual. Yeah. So we can blend. Right. Yeah. I think the other complicating thing with intention that, you know, again, this goes back to the kind of the descriptive and normative thing. There's this sort of feedback loop where, the intention people have in fitness and other things is informed by what they're told about, you know, well, weight loss and heart attacks and things like that. But then, but then there's also one from like what people want, you know, they want to lose weight, they want to look better. And then that forms the research project. So you almost have to have this third party philosophical perspective, which, you know, hopefully in us doing this, we're adding a bit to the conversation around that about like, Hey, that, that is what's going on, but should it be? Yes. Should there be deeper questions around yeah. what the intention is? Yeah, because just, you just raised a good point. Let's look at what's like actually how the science would be practiced, right? And so there's not a lot of money put into, as I mentioned, you know, uh, the the science of fitness for a for a 15 year study, right? Where where do we get information on 15 year studies, right? It's all about who had heart disease, what the BMI average was of this particular population, Framingham's kind of stuff, right? or nurses, the nurses health, uh, health study. Like we look for these big populations of stuff, but what do we go after inside of that information is like, what's gonna kill people? What's gonna give them cancer? How can we correlate these things of people eating more pizza than others to red meat consumption? <laughs> and like, oh, right. cancer, you know? Um, so it's, <laughs> that's, how they, that's how they come to those conclusions, believe it or not. So um, I think that uh, this, that's the big problem inside of it is uh, we need to remember the scientific process. It's almost impossible, you know, to to look at this big long-term thing, which, which how we propose what fitness would be. So we just have to, we just have to recognize that that's going to be a bit of an issue. And then uh, no, no, along the way, there'll be, there'll be bumps in the road uh, largely due to man, the, the individuality and relationships and um, you know, how we can actually get to um, you know, a place where we, where we see, you know, that people are so individual in their, in their expression long-term, I really can't see, really can't see that being put into practice for it. I don't know. I don't know how you can do that. That's going to be challenging. Yeah. And I, I think in, you know, I think in our discussion of all this, we've, we've, I mean, there's not a definitive answer here, but I think we've given a good sense of where we stand on this initial question of like, how do science and the practice of fitness relate? So one end was like, uh, science are just scientists are just backseat drivers. We don't really have any use for that. Fitness goes on by itself. And then the other side is scientism, which is like research to coach to client. That's the way it goes. And I think what we're saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the idea is that the coach and the individual and critical thinking play an incredibly important role in the middle of both of those. Both of those positions are wrong. Science is important and, you know, it should have some role in fitness, but it's not just as simple as, you know, here are all these research papers. Now we know what to do with this particular uh, client. There's this huge role for the coach interacting with this particular individual, thinking critically about what the science says, thinking critically about 
how the client presents, that just science is useful and helpful, but it, it, it can't ever fully grasp that, that interaction and it can't ever get down to the full particular the same way a coach can. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think why we're probably in that trouble with that, Robbie, is that we're, you know, you and I are discussing, uh, you and I have biases and beliefs on what fitness does for a person, right? You know what I mean? So if we were both on this call and we were, um, let's call it largely evidence influenced, right? And we're really technical on all the current information, right? And we really do believe that from the paper to the practice of, there's a really close, quick connection, then you and I would color this whole conversation differently, right? But this is the point and this is the challenge is that as time goes on and you actually experience fitness with a human, right? You start to turn your back on all of what you thought were truths inside of that. That's a, that's a fact. Like, just think about this, right? You, if we were to collect like a thousand people who were personal trainers or coaches over 25 years, you know, and get them in a room and have just conversation of this like scientist artist conversation. How do you think that they would answer that? Right. How do you think they would answer that? And I can, well, I can tell you in most cases, and I'm sure I'm just assuming here in, in large percentages of those people will be like, it's an art. Like it's, it's, you got, you actually, there's not a lot you can take from what that current study is. And then I think the answer to a lot of it, you know, if you ask all those coaches in 998 of them, why they would say it's complex. It's a complex scenario of trying to wrangle uh, emotions, right? Wrangle emotions. And I just thought about that for, imagine if you were to take a thousand young strength and conditioning, not young, a thousand strength and conditioning coaches who've been in practice for 25 years, working with individuals from 13 to 18 years of age. Think about that scenario, right? How they're colored. Think about that, right? And if you don't, if you're not, if no one's not grasping that, these individuals that grow from 13 to 18 are fundamentally different humans every month. Every month they're different humans in actual physics, metabolism, emotion, behavior, like socially, they're colored differently all the time, right? So how do you wrap any science around that? Any science around it. The only way you can do it is, you know, you, <laughs> I don't even know it's possible, some woman has to birth like 16 children at one time and we need to study them, you know, on February the 23rd, you know, um, you know, until like May 16th, all in a row with the same, you know what I'm saying? It's like, Oh my yeah. gosh, how do you, how do you remedy some of the principles around that? And you know how you do it? You accept the fact that humans are complex and they grow and adapt and they're ever changing and you have to be able to, uh, you know, read each person for how they're presenting with um, and, and just move them forward from there. And like I said, there's some of the things I thought about. Yeah. And it's an interesting question whether, you know, this is sometimes asked in philosophy to the extent to which is this complexity in principle um, something we can never really fully get a handle on. You know what I mean? A thousand years in the future. That's what I was asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, is it just something that our minds just kind of, you know, is, is, does it relate to the finite nature of our minds? Are we just, you know, are we only capable of, you know, grasping so much? So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Like how, um, is it just that there are too many data points or is it in principle that science could never 
there's just you're trying to access things that just um, can't be accessed by this third-party objective perspective. Yeah, well, I think I do have a possible answer to why that's not the case. I just think it's not. I think today or over the past 80 years, there's you know, there's <laughs> you're seemingly trying to come up with things to do <laughs> as humans. I think. Uh, just spend a couple of days on Twitter, you know, for six hours a day on Twitter and just like then step back and breathe and go, now what, what, what is everyone doing? Like, is this really what we're, is that really forward momentum? You know what I'm saying? So my, my possible reason why that may never get discussed, Robbie, is that there's no, you know, there's no impending zombie apocalypse, you know, back to my, my point on like, there's no reason to actually do physical expression, daily physical expression to increase resilience and like, you know what I'm saying? It's all, it's all set up as folly, right? Why? Well, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna climb a mountain at 85. You know? It's like, is that, is that the, some people can wrap their hands around that, but a lot of people are like, eh, that's not too, I mean, is that it? Is that it? Just be a father and just, you know, just go down swinging with some good kids and some good thoughts out there and write one book. It's like, you know, my point is like, there's, that's why probably it's not going to be studied is that what's real kind of interesting today. We're all really getting fat, you know, we're really getting over fat and we're not moving. Uh, what else is happening today? Um, primarily due to less and less movement requirements. We're doing lots of real challenging cognitive strategies on this digital based support. Right? So, so the, the, this is what fills up all of our time, right? All of our time for the majority. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise you and I that that question at this point in time, 2020, may never futuristically be answered because the deepest intentions behind what's important um, is not, in my opinion, is not seemingly obvious. And this is where we get into the sociology of science that um, some philosophers of science have pointed out. You know, we, we hold up science as this uh, paradigmatically objective and rational enterprise, but just like you mentioned, we have to remember that what gets funding dollars, you know, and what the research project is, is informed by to a large extent what people want and where, you know, what companies want to research. So it may be that you can ask objective and rational questions within a particular paradigm, but like, like you said, people are fat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's going to determine what research projects get picked up, not the, not the 15 year study on the fitness person. So, you know, again, for coaches, just to keep in mind when they're looking at these things, like, keeping this background information of like what is getting studied and why and why is this the research project and keeping that in mind when applying these conclusions to what they are trying to do yeah yeah and thank you for pulling us back to that so that we can be you know effective for anyone listening in who's going to be trying to impart some knowledge to another person uh just take that as a principle to pause and reflect and um and keep reading and keep experiencing right and the more you experience human relationships and conversation with people um you start seeing that it uh, it works out in the end but it may not because the book told a plus b equals c you know right so i think that gets us to another thing that i, I thought would be interesting for us to discuss so we we've talked about how you know we, we both agree science is important we're not, we're not casting it aside you know don't commit it to the flames like it's, it's important but it's it's a piece not the only piece um, and we've agreed that science can't fully capture what needs to be um, implemented for an individual the same way a coach can through critical thinking. But 
one question you might ask here is, you know, let's delve down a little bit deeper. What aspects of the fitness experience are missed by scientific exploration? This could be things like, you know, what are called in philosophy, the phenomenology or qualia of engaging in fitness. So for those who've never uh, heard those terms, um, it just basically means the sensations or the experiences of, of fitness. Yeah. Um, there's a famous philosopher, Thomas Nagel, who, uh, James, I know you're familiar with this, but he basically wrote an article that's very famous in philosophy called what is it like to be a bat? And his point there was you could have the most scientifically sophisticated investigation into the neurology and biochemistry of the, you know, the bat brain, understand how every piece of it functions and still have not the slightest idea of what it is like to, you know, move around the world via echolocation or to fly. And it's a similar question here, like what aspects of fitness uh, are we missing there in terms of the, how we experience it? Uh, Yeah. Any any thoughts there? Yeah, for sure. Lots of, I try to, you know, I thought of a few right, right from the get go. They, and they may overlap to be the same thing, but um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the training age, um, you know, the training age to wrap your head around that one of like, you know, one person has, um, one person has done six bicep curls in their life and another person has done like 16,000. Um, those are two different biceps. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that's one, like, how do you, how do you wrap that around? Um, that speaks to the same also area that's, it, that's challenging is that, um, we generalize the human experience of fitness being the same for an eight year old as we do a 62 year old, right? That whole, like, how do you, how do you, <laughs> I think that's missing. Like, how, how do you like create, you know, even, even do this, like just do sectional areas and <laughs> demarcations, right? Like fitness for a 20 to 25 year old in college go. Like, I think that would be worthy. You know what I'm saying is like, yeah. there's, there's a lot more generalizations on that right uh brain is not completely fully developed may not be able to do those major abstract challenges uh more time for reading higher resilience immune system function getting to its top end now we're starting to get some generalizations for that group right uh another area would be um sex and gender and the differences and the the lack of time that's spent on creating some specificity around that right um uh, I think one area, which would be even, you know, and I, I'm, believe, believe me, I'm not presenting these just because they're, they're, you know, more appropriate consideration for today. But um, I think different cultures in how fitness is done in the study of that would be a fascinating thing that we're kind of limiting ourselves inside the study of fitness or stuff that we're not looking at. Um, so th- there's a couple there, Robbie. I think the, uh, you know, number one, the, you know, the, the differences in age and training age expression. Uh, number two, this whole, you know, belief of max potential and like where people sit along that, you know, along that thing, um, uh, differences in sexes and their expression of physical experience and then possible no studies on cultural, physical culture and cultures, right. And how that all fits into the fitness experience. I think some, those are, those are a few, I, I think, uh, do you have any to add or any comments on those? No, I, mean, I think those are good. I mean, I guess uh, a couple that I thought of would be, and, and this gets to an interesting question. I take it that the ones you were mentioning 
you know, we could maybe have different classifications of ones that it is in principle possible for science to investigate. They just have yeah. not yet. Yes. And then there's kind of, uh, maybe ones, this would be an interesting discussion that is it even possible in principle? Could, could science ever get to the meaning of component of fitness that we experience? Could it have anything to say on that about its meaning to one's life about the, um, experience of it? Uh, could it have something to say about intention? Mm -hmm. We talked about intention. Is that in principle possible? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. Yeah, I I, I do think um, it would be challenging to do, but I do think it's possible. But I think it would have to be hijacked from um, other physical experiences that have been studied, and then pull in some things into fitness from that. So the unfortunate thing is we're going to pull it from sport, right? So sport experience and then higher cognitive function or uh, the overfat kid who starts doing physical activity and then they get a better IQ score or something like we're going to we're going to hijack that kind of stuff to to kind of lead into, well, you know, maybe better thoughts lead to more awareness and better meaning, you know, so it's like dip, 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 dip. we think that's where it's going to come from um, as opposed to, you know, a 10,000 group um, in, in the northwest of the states um, of just humans who were in this fitness experience for 20 years. And then we have a point, point A and then 20 years later, the point B. And we were like, you know, uh, a really significant difference in observed phenomena of uh, meaning, meaning of life, right? Uh, I, uh, I don't think that ladder will occur, <laughs> the L-A-T-T-E-R. Um, yeah. I just can't see that. You know, we'd have, to, we'd have to pull in a whole bunch of things. But uh, I like that uh, I personally get really excited around that question. Um, largely because I have a deep belief in that of, you know, the body and physical experiences, you know, creating this sea of opportunity for, for like aha points and awarenesses in life. Right. Um, and so much learning, you know, inside of that. Right. You know, I think the, the physical expression is a unbelievable opportunity for humans to, whether they connect it or not, uh, to trip up and, 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 uh, no limitations, know what they can and cannot do, you know? And I think that's a real good reality for today. Um, you know, as opposed to just purchasing electric bike and think you're, uh, think you're biking. Right. <laughs> I'll always bring up the electric bike every show, at least. I mean, for the weeks. that should just be a good running joke. Yes. Nonstop three pull-ups before you purchase an electric bike. Oh, that's it. <laughs> We should, I, I, Strict I doubt there's a store just dedicated to it. Well, maybe there's a store to like dedicated to electric bikes, but like you should just troll them and just like bring like a rogue, like pull up part out of front, like three pull-ups before you can enter. No, honestly, let's, let's go and not to go too far off what I was just mentioning, but uh, let's do it. Cause I think what's wrapped inside of that is, is uh, um, uh, let's call it, what is your, what is your collective responsibility to maintaining great physical function for a lifetime? That's a, that's a, a good philosophical question. I think we need to ask, right? What does, and at this point in time, it's a good one because we can lean up against people telling, you know, everyone else to like, wear a mask and clean your hands and da da da. Because why? Because you're protecting yourself from us, you know? And, uh, and we want, we want to be really careful to be like, uh, I don't know if you need to purchase those Doritos. 
you see, it's like, ooh, that's, that's kind of uncomfortable because you're impending on my like choices on what I wish to do, right? So that, then we're going to have to get into this philosophical question on like, well, what is your responsibility to me on your choice of Doritos? You see this? It's, uh, so I think we need to go to that area over time um, and ask that question, Robbie, is if everyone's collective responsibility for everyone else in how they practice in. And of course, I'm, I'm biased on why I think that's beneficial, not to lengthen this one out, but I think that if everyone were collectively involved in trying to harden themselves and experience themselves, you know, physically for the rest of their life, I think it would collectively lead to a community, um, better thoughts, better cognitive function and better ideas and better choices. And you know what I'm saying? Um, and I think we, we indirectly got there before because of trade and vocation and, and, you know, and digging up for food, right? We had to, we had to actually do that physical expression to, to do these things. We didn't have six hours of free time in the day to get on Twitter and just bang, doomsday scenarios over and over, you know? Um, sorry, that was a rant of uh, my previous, uh, previous point, but we got to go no, there. That's okay. I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, two episodes I'd like to do eventually are one, like, you know, uh, moral duty and, and fitness, which you, you know, you've done a, a knowledge series on, but it'd be cool to do one of these episodes, but also the, uh, the, the political aspect, you know, the, the standard conception of that is, you know, from, from Mill and others is basically, we should all have the maximum liberty possible so long as it does not harm others. But then of course, what's harm? That's, that's harm, where the philosophy harm. comes in. Yeah. We need to, I think we need to jam on that. Yeah. I think that would be, um, and the reason why that's, that. sorry. Oh no. Uh, go ahead. I think the reason why that's important is because it does lead back to your just previous question on the the reasoning behind the study of it, right? And are we just and what what are the, what are the issues in going after it, you know? Um, and if we don't connect it to some reason or to your point, a meaning, right? A meaning behind the um, why you would do any of this physical challenge expression, right? Um, then we're, we're really we're just talking, we really truly are just talking heads. You know, this is, this is just an extension of uh, blogging heads TV or blogger head TV. Oh yeah, that's, uh, that's old school. I, I remember that. Oh gosh, yeah. Glenn, uh, I just listened to a podcast of him and Glenn and John McWhorter this morning. Um, oh really? Interesting. Yeah, but I definitely def- I definitely think we should do a, uh, a podcast on that at some point. That'd be great. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, one thing I wanted to see if we could uh, delve into a little bit more before we, um, or just to get at least some some of this on, on this episode, then maybe we'll do it on another episode. Okay. Um, we talked about it a little bit before. If we talk about the science, there, excuse me, the science coach client triad, mm. um, you know, what would be the ideal uh, relationship between those three? You know, we talked about this notion of, you know, unidirectional versus bidirectional. Yeah. How does the coach act as a node between yeah. those other two? Uh, can what the client learns make the coach learn new things, which then informs the research? You know, what, what are your thoughts there about that ideal relationship? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think we, we uh, discussed this in CCP um, a slightly different way. But the way I'd like, uh, you know, the way that I come to an understanding of it is you want to, you want to think of it as like a coach is in one chair, a client is in another and the uh, coconut oil will kill you. Scientific, you know, information from time magazine is on the table. 
So it's the coach and the client and that information is on the table. So because it's text, because it's time and because the client brought it in, it's real, right? It's right. real. So how does this all play out? Um, it's, it's through conversation. That's how it all interplays. Robbie is, uh, is uh, the coach taking the time to talk to the client to increase their competency level as to how to read this information more clearly to understand all the things that you and I were talking about up to this point, right? Not generalizing, but also not turning your back on some of the stuff, right? Like, you know, I, so then, you know, take, you know, so I would, I would take that person through it and then like actually walk them over with me standing at my desk to Google where I would pull up the research article and them and I together would go through the methods, right? On what they were looking at and why they did it, right? And then I'll, I'll explain in layman's term detail, right? So I'm going to go beyond what the article said, right? And if I, and I'm just giving you an example, this has happened indirectly or directly sometimes actually just like that, but other times in different ways. I'm just trying to show you how you would do it. You have to keep, um, keep pushing the fact that until you sense the client goes, ah, yeah, I got it. There's some things that I can take from it, but I got to be critical and thinking about how this is presented and why it's presented that way. And I have to, I have to be aware of my emotions on it. Right. So I, so you got, you got to have that discussion with the person and say things like, um, and this is generally why it largely gets in this experience, Robbie, it gets like so drowned out and exhausting. As you know, number one, there's no system to talk for 90 minutes to people. There's no system set up for that. That's another conversation, another time. Number two, the, the client is so drowned out and exhausted, right? So drowned out and exhausted. It's actually too challenging to think hard. They're not, they don't have enough energy to critically think hard. Think about that. They're so exhausted. They can't even like, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a number of weeks to develop this habit and like really work hard at, they don't have the energy to do that. Right. So think about those two impeding things the coach has to deal with. They have 15 minutes and the client just doesn't have the energy. They don't have the energy. So um, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but that's where you need to go. You need to um, recognize all those. Things. And the third area, sorry, the third reason why it'll, it becomes really, cloudy in that relationship to figure out the example of the coconut oil is going to kill you um, is the emotions the emotion that that client brings so immediately they hear coconut oil you never know that may scream at them you are fat you're fat right you are fat and you'll never be what you thought you would ever be right because you're fat and that's how you're perceived right and because we can't create language to this and the client won't say it and they won't even push those cards across the table for you. You can see how we're, we're challenged in this scenario of science coach and client, right? It's, it's a, there's a lot of challenges to fix what I just presented as some of the, some of the biggest issues there. So I, uh, I hope I presented it in a way that can be understanding. How do you like wrangle that? You got to have time for conversation you got to have an opportunity to recognize where this client is coming from and how they perceive this entire situation. Right. And number three, you need to like work really hard on, you know, what, what they're coming in with on 
their competency level of that particular topic or, um, or recognize their skills of the competency. Uh, and you just got to recognize people are really tired. So, um, you know, resist the urge to just be like, you know, you get it. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Get out of here. You know, no, it's gotta be like, you get it. Yeah. But do you understand it? Do you understand it? Uh, not really, but I'll just do what you say, James. Nope. Get back in here. We're not done. We're not done. You need to, you need to own that. You need to get it and own it. Um, and until you do, that's okay. There'll be a time. We'll just, I'll meet with you next week. We'll have the same conversation. Bring in another coconut oil article, right? Let's, let's do it again. All right. Methods carry over real life, you know? Um, yeah. So that's how I wrangle that one. Inside of that too, I just wanted to recognize what I was noticing of my noticing there as I was speaking it out, Robbie, was the fact of our previous point way back of some of the issues in science and fitness and the impracticality of it is that, can you see how it takes a lot of experience on my behalf personally, James Fitzgerald, for me to get to that point that that's how I fix that situation? Yeah. See that? Like, that can't be taught. I don't, I don't know. CCP won't teach you that either. I'll tell you about it, but you got to be in the trenches doing a lot of that in order to get to this answer that I just given you, you know? So it's, it's ironically like a, you know, a story of a story, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought those were, that's how I rang them. That's how I rang points. them. Yeah. I mean, no, you're, you know, so you have to have enough experience with the person to actually know who they are. You know, did their husband or father or what have you have a heart attack? And is that coloring their yes. attitude? You need to have enough familiarity and experience with interpreting studies and not just interpreting studies, but explaining them to people. That's a whole different yes. thing. Um, yes. And being able to deal with, you know, like you said, people being tired or, or shutting down or just not wanting to, um, you know, hear it initially. But I, you know, as you were saying all that, it, it kind of brought me back to our autonomy discussion, you know, and it just made me think of the coach being kind of this, on this almost noble quest, if you will, in the sense that there's this just sea of information, whether it's time or other things where it's just like, this will kill you, or, you know, veganism is the best, or, you know, pick your favorite one. There's, there's a bajillion different ones of these that people are hit with every single day. Um, and the, the coach is on this noble quest to not only educate the client, not just teach them the different things that they want them to know, but to also empower them. Like it's not like when you, when you're teaching them about the coconut oil study, it's not just, Oh, I want you to understand the coconut oil study. That, that's good. It's like, I want you to have the tools necessary to realize these were the methods. These were the conclusions. Do you see how these are limited? Do you see how these don't apply to everyone? So it's that it's that autonomy that you're instilling over time. And it's really kind of a, a noble, I, I personally think a, a noble endeavor. Yeah. Worthwhile yeah. Endeavor. Yeah. So. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but it also, maybe there's others listening out there that could fill that gap in fitness. Cause there isn't that gap in fitness. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit more cause I'm older. I just don't think I'll have the time to like fight the fight for another 30 years. Um, so I just go straight to the point, right. Of like what scientific information is, what the public is perceiving it as. And then I like punch the coach in the throat with it, right. It's like, just go out there and do what you want with it. Um, but there is a spot out there based on just your point there though. Um, there's not a lot of, uh, professionals out there who take scientific information in 
in the sciences as to what's observed, right? As to what they see in evidence, take that and then color it in a way that would largely affect the general fitness population, right? Most, most people that take that, let's call it scientific review or scientific uh, writers, right? They take that and they still have a background agenda as to what they're trying to perceive that information as, right? So that maybe this is a point of inspiration for someone who is really good at that job, right? Um, who is competent in reading technical information of the sciences, who is a polymath in terms of understanding all the things that are inside of the complexity of fitness, and then being able to take that and put it into a readable information that allows the client to go, oh, you know, interesting. I have to make this decision on it. And that's not available to today. And most times that information is being like pushed towards high intensity, pushed towards, you know, a community driven approach, pushed towards low fat, you know, whatever it is. They all have their own agenda as to how they're going to read that information about making sense. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be um, useful. And I just, as you were saying that, I also thought like that would be extremely useful and helpful, but it also made me think, um, the coach is much more than just an in-person explainer video. You know what I mean? Like yes. they are um, explaining the coconut oil thing or these other things, like you're, you're tying it into this person's life and through all these other things that you're doing, you're, you know, helping them make their life um, better. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, you know, it, it, it's good to be able to synthesize information. That's a very worthwhile skill. And it's, uh, it, it's something that we, we need but just thinking about that one-on-one -on -one relationship of what the coach is doing, it's, you know, they're, they're doing something uh, profound where the person hopefully doesn't need to be watching explainer videos for the rest of their life. They kind of, as yes. they, you know, do more of these, they get better and better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully that's a, that's a scream out for some people um, that maybe could, uh, could get in that place. Yeah. I'm just thinking that's a really worthwhile uh, spot that a number of people um, can do some languaging on for sure. And I think that, uh, I, you know, just not to, not to belabor that point, but I think it's just been, um, it, it's, it's the inability to, uh, read it such that the market, meaning the client can understand it, right? It's just, we just put on this like white jacket and we can't take the white jacket off and sit in the, sit in the client's seat, right? We just need to do a better job of that. To understanding that real world experience of fitness and where they sit and yeah well maybe we'll get there yeah i think so yeah anyways back right. to your original question that's how i um you know is there is there some other questions uh connected to that on how uh, or your thoughts on how you would wrangle that for the the science and coach and client try try it no i think i think that's good that was definitely one thing i had in mind um I guess if you're, are you doing okay time-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me just plug in my AC adapter here real quick. I guess another question I had that we kind of talked about a little bit before is the, um, so we were just talking about how the coach can do a good job of explaining the science to the client and leading to more autonomy and understanding things. What do you see as the role for the, coach and or the client coach maybe being the clinician in a certain sense mm -hmm. um 
in informing the research project of various sciences or exercise science. You know what I mean? Like in, in functional medicine, we kind of have a similar thing where, um, you know, there's interesting research into different metabolic pathways and things like that. But then there are these clinicians who are actually like working with people. And then that can inform the research project of um, different sciences. I'm wondering uh, to what extent can discoveries from the client or the coach, can they or should they inform the research projects of, of science, do you think? Well, they should inform them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm giggling, but it's, I'm giggling because it's so far removed. It's all, I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even know, like it's so far removed from like the fitness experience and how much it informs actual science inside of fitness. It's so far removed. It's, it's redonkulous, Robbie. So should it by all means, but when is, when is, and I'm just being, you know, generalizing my terms, when is science going to like round table a whole bunch of like 20 year coaches in the trenches to ask them like, what kind of things should we kind of look at? No, no. Um, you know, and, and anyone who like, you know, you know, raises the flag for that, like our group is doing that to ask these, you know, fundamental questions. I'm like, well, what are the, what are the questions you're asking? Right. You know what they're asking is the same shit, right? Hypertrophy, don't get fat. What doesn't cause disease? You know, what increases bone mineral density for old people, agility programs for kids? Like, it's like, yeah, okay. That's still the same thing, but that's not, uh, you're not round table things for what, cause you know what the fitness experience is, right? They're coming in with like shit behaviors, right? They're coming in at minus two to zero. And you're not even like, you're, you're thinking that everyone inside of those groups, right? Are, are generalized again, back to our problems of the entire population, right? You're thinking that, the 72 year old who just started exercise, that's the same program as what's written in the NSCA strength conditioning journal, right? So no, we're not wrapping our hands around that at all. And we're so far removed from it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if their question was in there. It wasn't, no, it wasn't. The, there was the answer. I think it, uh, um, we should be, but uh, I don't think the profession, I think there's professional limitations right? Our, our profession is made up of, I'll just call it like 15 different avatars, you know, like, you know, a plumber, you know, some would argue a plumber's not a plumber, but a plumber's a plumber. And a fitness coach is, is not a, is not a fitness coach, but if you, if I'm making sense. So, you know, what is a professional fitness coach? Well, let's, let's try to answer that question first. And then secondarily, we can go, well, how do we wrangle all these fitness coaches together? <laughs> you know, and, and when you wrangle them all together, I'm sure they'll make some statements like um, there's no systems for us, basically. Um, there's no regulation on who is and who's not. So I can even determine per state exactly what I can say around the globe as to how I'm, how I'm valued, et cetera. So all those things need to be answered first, Robbie, to get to that, to get to that <laughs> impeding issue of the, the distance between the fitness experience and what should be which would be practiced in science. Gotcha. So from a, as I, if I'm understanding you correctly, from a practical perspective, who actually counts needs to first be figured out before there is the answer to the question, how could, you know, coaching then inform the science, the research into it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole fitness experience, right? Not even the coaches, but maybe we can bring in the clients to this. Like, what are we talking about in a client? 
right? Because we even talked about that, you know, we saw how complex that was in the autonomy episode, right? Of like how, how long it would take someone to actually get to that utopic version of just like waking up and chewing broccoli and working out in their garage, you know? Um, and, and the, you don't just wake up and chew broccoli, by the way, but you get my point. Um, is that they know that they need to chew it, you know, multiple times, multiple times, 46 if it's raw and only about 23 if it's cooked. Um, there's like an in-between of temperature gradients, which I'll have a book coming out on. Um, just wait for it. Um, so I think the, that the, the client experience also, uh, creates a lot of problems to that question uh, because of the, the client's individuality and experience, not only the previous things I just mentioned, of the, you know, what is a fitness coach and what are the systems around that? And what is the job? That's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough yeah, one. No, that makes sense. So I, I think at the very, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I think the, uh, thank you for giving me the time on that for my thought process because I wouldn't have remembered it, but I, I keep saying to coaches, uh, you have to write the book, you know, you got to write the book of each person. So Janice, you know, the client Janice, you've got to help Janice write her book. You know, uh, you have to be the research, right? You and the client have to be the research. You guys have to be writing the story and doing the experience, right? And so that's how, that's how people can get inspired. So we don't just get pessimistic around not using any base supportive variables that are going to help in the prescription, right? We're not saying that, right? But we are saying that it's a really long ways away from us seeing the, the collective agreement as to what happens in the fitness experience that we can give to people for research methods. We're, we're super far away from that, but I'm not saying that you don't get inspired by trying to write Janice's book for her, like help her with that book. Like what is your fitness journey for you and what is this going to look like? You know? Yeah. That makes sense. And don't give in to the manuals being the answer for, because it's not for her. Right. And I think in this conception, the, the coach assumes a much more important role than just like disseminator of science. You know yes. what I mean? Like it's, 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 a, it's a, it's a far more in, in, important role that um, involves a lot of different aspects than just here's what the science says and here's what Janice is going to do. Yes. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's way more, uh, it's way broader than that. So. Exactly. Cool. Well, uh, I think that was a good one. Any, any, any final thoughts there? No, thank you. Um, I think there's uh, possibly, uh, um, again, something that we knew coming in, but it was, it was great that uh, it uh, it allowed me to clear my language on, you know, just some of the things that I knew. But, more, you know, I, because I'm more recently talking about it today, I really appreciate um, you, you continuing the conversation on science. And uh but I do think that the, it, it could possibly just for all jokes aside, it could possibly just be a podcast all by itself. Like the science and fitness problem and the, and the, the issues. I mean, we could take, we could take like biology and fitness and problems and then physics and fitness and problems and chemistry a bit like <laughs> that could, that could be lengthy, you know? So, but just because I mentioned that it also is a review of our current episode to today to recognize that there's a lot in there. Um, but don't stop asking questions. You know, that shouldn't turn you back on asking questions. That's the whole thing that I learned from it. Yeah, I'm agreed. And I, yeah, that was one of the questions I had in here for today, but we may just make into future episodes. You know, we, we talk about science as if it's this monolithic thing, but there are various sciences. What's the relationship between biology and fitness and anatomy and physics. And so yes. those might 
you know, in the future, depending on how you feel about them, those might be episodes that we might delve into. Yeah, sure. Maybe we'll, uh, like people are doing with podcasts today, they're having like uh, separate little storylines now, right? Like, yeah, you can call it the science episode, science episode one, science right. episode two, get crazy, you know, it's like, wow, fitness philosophy is taking it 2.0. They're now like, uh, you know, next thing you know, we'll have live calls, you know, taking on live calls on Facebook and like people asking yeah. questions and, you know. Spinoffs and uh, secret menus and oh, yeah, for all sure. sorts of whistles. Yeah, oh, all types of things. Look for it to come, folks. I mean, we're, we're building it. All right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that discussion. I think we, at, at the very least, like we said, when we did the first part of this, this was, a, I think, a very good start to the science of fitness conversation, but I'm sure we will return to it in the future. Yes. Um, Agreed. Yeah, we'll probably turn to uh, something else next, um, but we will almost surely come back to science in the future. So. Yes, no doubt. Cool. All right, well, thank you so much, James. I appreciate it. All right, man. You too. Take care. All right, bye-bye.